Well, we just finished our series going through the book of Nehemiah together, and I miss it. Um, I, was, I was like processing through this past week, and I got to like, you know, we ended at chapter 13 last week, and I was thinking how odd it ended with chapter 13. Um, so I want to just take a moment and follow up on that today. You may remember that like, Nehemiah was off the scene from Jerusalem, like two to seven years, we're not really sure. He comes back on the scene, and the Israelites were like just off. They, they had kind of, they were back to doing things that they said they wouldn't do and not doing things that they said they would do. So let me refresh your memory. Chapter 13, they had rented out space to the enemy, given him literally like place for his junk where the tithes were supposed to be stored in the house of God. Um, they had stopped giving. They had stopped honoring God with their, the Sabbath. They had stopped resting. Um, they had stopped really caring about their relationships and what God instructed as far as like who should marry and all that kind of stuff. They're just like, I don't know, you look hot. Let's, let's get married. And that was it. They had stopped raising their kids in, in the Lord. And so he kind of goes legit like a little crazy. Like he starts like, flip, like flipping tables, Jesus flipping tables at the temple. He starts yelling at people, threatening people. He, uh, he chastises people. He actually beats some guys up and pulls out their hair. That's a lot, right? That's, um, that's, that's a little significant. And so it begs the question that I want to talk about today is this, why was Nehemiah so judgy? Like why was he so intense? Um, in fact, if you don't think that he was intense and you're just like, oh yeah, chapter 13, pulling out guys' hairs, that's normal. Like, that's a normal day. That's a Tuesday. Um, then I would say that it, you don't have a problem with it because your hair wasn't pulled out. Because we're okay with other people's hairs getting pulled out. We're like, wow, that was pretty cool. Like, he was just pulling people's hair out. Unless you're the guy. Unless you're the guy that's getting your beard ripped out. Um, like, off the record, I think that, I think Nehemiah let his anger get the best of him. I don't think God was like, yes, thus saith me, rip out all their hair. No, and their beard as well. Do it. Thus saith me. I, I don't know. I just don't think so. On the record, I kind of wish that I looked at sin as seriously as Nehemiah does. Like, aside from his dumpster fire of Tobiah's junk and ripping out guys' beards, um, I think one of the more disturbing parts of this is that the Israelites didn't see anything wrong with what they were doing. Like they didn't see it. Two to seven years, Nehemiah was off the scene. He comes back with an objective view and he's like, what, the, what are you guys doing? Like I bet the Israelites had justified and rationalized everything that they were doing, the decisions that they made, Tobiah's little like rental facility. They, all of it was like, oh yeah, yeah, we, this is just kind of normal. This is how we do things, right? They didn't have to... Um, you know, they, they hadn't seen it. They didn't see what they should have seen. They had what I would call blind spots. The reality is, is that we all have blind spots, areas of our life that, um, that we don't see or we refuse to see in ourselves. Now, it's not a hard sell for you to realize that the person sitting next to you has a ton of blind spots. Am I right? And they're a hot mess. Look at them. 
Look at them. They are a hot mess, and you know it. Like, you know, especially if you know them, you're like, oh my gosh, let me tell you about their blind spots. Like, they pretty much poked out their, their right eye. They don't even, I don't even think they're flying blind here. Like, they, there's so many blind spots in people that we know. And, and, and maybe it's not the person sitting next to you. Maybe it's just someone in your life, a coworker, a family, like your sister, like somebody in your life that you're just like, my goodness, they have so many blind spots. It's the conversations that you have where you're like, I just don't understand why she keeps going back to the same guy. It's a different name, but it's the same dude. Like, I, yeah, I mean, it's like the same, she keeps keep going back to the same. I don't know why he just keeps, he keeps quitting job after job after job. And it's like, man, you keep saying like, it's everybody else's fault, but there's a common denominator here. There's, you know, you, you have conversations, you're like, you're like ah, they say they're Christians, but I'm just telling you, like, they're just, I've tried talking to them. They're literally living in just blatant sin. It's not hard for us to look at other people and see like, yeah, you got a ton of blind spots. Now, just look at me right up here. Just me. Don't tell anybody this. But so do you. I know. I know. I thought it was everybody else too, right? Like, I didn't realize that it was, that it was me, that, that I had blind spots in, in my own life as well. We all have areas of our life that we either don't want to see or we refuse to see. And here's the crux, and this is what I want to talk about today. Here's the crux, and this is like, thank God that we're not having Nehemiah come and like rip out our beards, right? Like, here's the crux. What I know is that I personally would never tolerate Nehemiah coming into my house and ripping out my hair. Why? Because I just don't respond well to beard ripping. I just know this from the past. And just, I don't, it's not, a good, it's not a good way to get me to do things, right? But here's the problem. How do we, in a day where everybody is so fragile, we are so fragile, how, how do we choose to be a person in somebody else's life and invite other people into our life to help us see things that we're not able to see? Blind spots. What does that look like? In fact, I would argue, I truly believe that if the church of Jesus Christ would get this down pat, like understand and harness this in a healthy way, and that's what we're going to talk about today. I think that, honestly, you would overcome some of the things that you didn't even realize were holding you back and find freedom that you never thought was available. But it's messy. It's so messy. And even more importantly, I think it's important for us to realize that when we don't invite people into our life to, to be able to like point out blind spots in our life, we're actually suffering for it. We're, we're, we're actually paying the cost of something that we don't actually see and being held back by something that we don't actually know. So um, turn with me to Matthew chapter 7. We're going to hunker down in there today. Would you stand with me? Um, if you've got a Bible, turn to Matthew 7. If you've got your U version, turn to 7. Um, if you don't have a Bible or you don't have the NIV translation, which I primarily preach out of, we got some free Bibles over by the, the back, over by the uh, sound booth. You can pick those up on your way out. Just grab one. It's yours. Put your name in it. Take it home. Um, compliments of a couple people here at, at New Life that just have a heart to get the Word of God into God's people. Amen? So, um, Matthew 7, I'm going to read this, and let's read it together. Matthew 7, starting in verse 1. Do not judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged, and with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take that speck out of your eye? 
when all the time there is a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Lord Jesus, I, um, I realize that these words are in red, like, like you spoke these words. Lord, I pray that as we just process through the health and what it looks like to have healthy relationships within the body of Christ, I pray that uh, we would let down our guards and realize we don't, we're called to more than this. Help us to just lean into our brothers and sisters in a church called family. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. So, so like the first verse of this, like chapter 7, verse 1, is like non-Christians, Christians alike, like love to quote this verse. And I don't know why, but it seems like we always quote it in the old English version. Like not even New King James. I, I was looking it up. I was like, I don't know why, but people were always like, well, doesn't the Bible say like judge, judge not lest ye be judged? What do ye say? Like, I don't even know why, why we do that, but we bring in the old English translation of this. Um, but the reality, and this is what we struggle with, is that we are called to judge, to judge right and wrong, to discern right and wrong. And as we take this verse in context, Jesus is not saying, like, judge not, like, you can't judge. He's actually making a distinction between judging and being judgmental. Discerning right and wrong, good and evil, and being self-righteous. Because judgmentalism always leads to self-righteousness. If you want to get Jesus riled up, like you look throughout the Bible, like you want to get him jacked, start flipping tables, just act self-righteously. It's what he couldn't stand about the Pharisees. He never called, I don't know if you ever noticed this, he never had good names for them. He was like, hey, a bunch of classy guys. He was always like, hey, brood of vipers. Hey, whitewashed tombs. Hey, hypocrites. How's it going? Like always not really nice terms for the group of these self-righteous people. And in verse 2, he continues, he says, For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged, and with the measure you use, this is key, the measure you use, it will be measured to you. In your notes, it says that self-righteousness will lead you to use yourself as the standard of measurement. Self-righteousness always leads you to use yourself as a standard of judgment. See, what happens is when we apply ourselves as the measuring stick for everybody else, then we essentially minimize God's holiness and we magnify our own. We dumb down God's holiness to think that we've actually achieved it, and then we jack up our view of ourselves and our own holiness and use it as a standard to measure other people. In a nutshell, self-righteousness. Not only does it cause us to like use ourselves as a standard of judgment, but the second thing self-righteousness does is this. It actually will lead you to judge someone harshly because they sin differently than you. Man, this is the tough part. This is the tough thing. I, I think it, it hits every single one of us a little bit differently, but all the same. Like, it is so tempting for me to judge someone else more harshly because they sin in an area that I'm not tempted in. Like, I, 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 I can look at you and I think, like, why are you tempted in that area? Like, that is so weird. Like, 
I can look at other people's sin. I'm like, man, that is like more vile, more gross, more disgusting than mine. God, I just, I just sin normal. You sin weird. Like, why would you even be tempted to do that? Ugh, gross. Like, that's not, that's not cool. Like, just stop it. Because we start to look at ourselves and say, well, my sin's normal and other people, what they are tempted in is just weird and different. Because I don't even understand how you could be tempted in that. And what, what ends up happening, and we see this in the church, is that we end up pontificating about things that God could care less about while neglecting things that he cares most about. And we get stuck little nitpicking things that other people sin differently than us rather than dealing with the stuff that goes on that he cares most about. Because if I'm honest, it is far easier for me to point out your imperfections than it is for me to deal with mine. This whole self-righteous thing, I, I don't know if you've ever met anybody like this. Um, it gets a little weird, very concerning to me when I meet a Christian that seems just a little too excited about hell. Um, I don't know if you've ever met somebody, you start talking about hell and they just light up. Like, nobody should do that. I'm just telling you. Like, you start talking about hell and they're just like, yeah. I had, like, people talk to you like, Pastor, you need to preach more about hell. They need to know about the unquenching fires of hell. Like, they need to know the internal temperature of that hellfire oven. Like, they need to know how, you know, indescribable, ex excruciating and painful hell's going to be. Like, it's, I don't know if you've ever met somebody like this, but it's, it's weird. Like, they aren't going there, but they're kind of, it helps them sleep at night to know that some people are, right? Like, you get to the place where you're like, you know what? They're not going to get away with it. They're going to burn. They're going to burn in hell, right? Like, it, talk about how, how twisted that can be. Now, here's the problem. You take verse 1 and 2, Matthew chapter 7, and you just, like, rip it out of the Bible. You just take it there. You could isolate it, and you could summarize it in saying this, M-Y-O-B, mind your own business. Just mind your own business. Now, here's the problem. And we can all be like, amen, let's go home. Hallelujah, I can go eat lunch. Like, here's the problem. Jesus doesn't end there. He doesn't just stop at verse 2. It would be so awesome if you just did that and be like, look at this. Judge not lest ye be judged. Yeah, you judge me by your measure, 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 and the measure, and you judge. And, like, and then we just walk away. Just stay out of my business. Mind your own business. But he follows up with a clarification of how to judge well, this is where it gets sticky. So this scripture, in its entirety, as we look at just these five verses, is not a prohibition on judging, as much as I wish it was. It's actually a warning about being judgmental, and it's a teaching on how to love people well. He goes on in verse 3. Let's read it. He says, why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye. How can you say to your brother, let me, let, me, let me get that speck out of your eye when all the time there is a plank in your own eye? I want you to notice something of what Jesus just said here. And we can't miss this. It is okay to notice someone else's blind spot. He actually doesn't say, like, that's wrong. You shouldn't notice anything. You should just act like everybody's good. Everything's fine. All it is okay for a person to see something about someone else that, that they don't see in themselves. Jesus doesn't tell us to just ignore the specks in other people's eye, just act like they don't exist, just don't look at people in the eye, just, you know, just try not to make eye contact, you won't see their imperfections. He doesn't say anything like that. So how do we judge well without being judgmental? 
That's the question. That is the question for our culture, not just New Life Church, not just this sermon. Like, how do we judge well without becoming judgmental? And the first thing he says is this. You can see more clearly by minding your own blind spot first. In light of this scripture, here's what I would say, and then I'll leave it here. If you are unwilling to deal with your secret sin, then you should be very careful about pointing other people's public sins. Proverbs says this, 423 says, above all else, guard your heart. Because that's what it's about. He says, for everything you do flows from it. So if your heart's not right, if you're not walking in humility, guaranteed you aren't seeing people clearly. Above all else, guard your heart. If I'm honest, something that has always frustrated me about Jesus is this. He always seems to be more concerned about my heart than he is about your heart. We have arguments about this. Like, I really think he should be paying more attention to you all. But every time we talk, he's like, hey, Justin, that thing about your heart? And I'm like, have you seen these people? Have you seen these people? I'm like a professional Christian here, right? Like, have you seen these people? Like, they're hot messes. Why, why are you always looking at me? Why are you always focused on my heart? Like, these people need some help. I don't know if you ever noticed this, but Jesus always seems to be focused on me. Maybe you can relate. Wish he'd focus on this person or that person in my life, but he always seems to be focused on, on my heart. And then he doesn't stop there. He actually starts calling us hypocrites. Verse five, you hypocrite. Like, are you kidding me, dude? Like, you don't even know me. He just said, you hypocrite, first take the plank out of your own eye. <laughs> Hold on. Hypocrite, if you kind of like break it up, right? The word hypocrite means like under judge. So essentially, hypocrisy is under judging yourself and over judging others. So when he's like, hey, you, me? Yeah, you, hypocrite. Jesus comes right at you. Like, he, he does not even give you an opportunity to be like, ah, you need to hear my story. Like, you don't know me. Like, let me just tell you a little bit about me. He's like, yeah, you, hypocrite. He says, take the log out of your own eye. He comes right at you. Why? Because of this. Why is he so angry? Because the cause of Christ suffers due to people, Christians, who proclaim the name of Jesus from a pulpit or from a soapbox, but deny him by their lifestyle. That is what people in this world, men and women, they, 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 they do not understand how someone can denounce other people's sins publicly and yet are unwilling to deal with their own. I heard this quote, um, I don't even know who, who said it. He said, if you don't deal with your demons, they go into the cellar of your soul and lift weights. Isn't that good? So true. If you don't deal with your demons, they go into the cellar of your soul and lift weights. Make sure that you are inviting people into your life to help shine light on those blind spots that you just don't see. And I want you to notice that Jesus says in verse 5, he says the word first. He says, first, take the plank out of your own eye. And I just want to... This is, this is just grammar 101. You don't say first unless you plan on following it up with a second, right? 
So Jesus is describing not just a proposal, like take the plank out of your own eye, mind your own business. He's actually describing a process. So he's saying the two things that I'm going to be talking about right now are actually connected. He's saying they're not independent of each other. Taking the plank out of your own eye and helping your brother. These two things go hand in hand. So he's like, firstly, take the plank out of your own eye. Firstly, deal with your own stuff. Guard your heart. Mind your own business. Allow others to to point out the blind spots in your life. And then once you've done that, firstly, and you're walking in humility, he says in verse 2, or verse 5, secondly, then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. And this is where Jesus makes the biggest connection between you and others. He's saying, like, following me never ends with what's in it for me. Following Jesus never means that it was meant to be walked alone. Following Jesus is not you trying to find a better version of you in some sort of spiritual vacuum void of of other people. The messiness of a church-like family, the messiness of the body of Christ is is that we're actually called to lean in on each other, brothers and sisters. That God does something in you, but it's not just for you. He does something in you so that it can flow through you to bring freedom to somebody else. So Jesus' second is that once you first take the plank out of your own eye and your heart is healthy, then you can see more clearly. Then number two is this, to leverage what God is doing in your life for the benefit of someone else. This is the messiness of a church, like family, like loving others enough to to deal with what you need to deal with so that you can help others deal with what they need to deal with. You know what he did in five verses? Literally just flipped everything on its head. Just flipped it all. Like, all of a sudden, it's like, whoa, 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 wait a minute. This isn't just about, like, minding my own business and not judging people lest ye be judged. This isn't just about like taking the plank out of my own eye. This isn't just about me becoming a better version of myself by comparing myself to other people around me and using myself as as a measure of judgment. What is Jesus saying here? And I think it comes down to one word in verse five. It says this. First, take the plank out of your own eye and then you will see, there it is, clearly, clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Clearly. Sing it with me now. I can see clearly now the plank is gone. (laughs) I can see all obstacles. No, okay. I said sing it with me and you're all like, ha, ha, ha. Come on, seriously. It's embarrassing. I'm not a singer. Okay. Now here's here's the reality. This is the plank. Um, Pressure treated. All right. if, if I have a plank in my eye, then what that means is that I have to, I'm going to come down to my wife, um, I have to keep everyone at, at plank's length. Do you see how that works? Ooh, I'm getting a little close there. I'm going to come over here. So I have to keep everyone at, at plank's length. I try to like reach in to help you because I see something that you got in your, in your eye. I can't actually reach it. Okay, fine. Turn it down a little bit. So here's the reality. All I can do at the best when I have a plank in my eye is to criticize you from afar. 
I can see you and I can maybe see that you got something in your eye that you should probably get out, but I can actually never get close enough for you to actually help. And what Jesus is saying, he's like, when you walk in humility to be able to invite other people to be able to say, hey, you got a plank in your eye. Let me help you remove that first. All of a sudden now, you can now get close enough to somebody to care, to act, to help, to love, and to see them. Church, the problem that the church has is that we're not seeing people. We're seeing problems. We're seeing sin. We're seeing specks, but we're not seeing people. Can I, can I just encourage you? The reason that Jesus was able to minister, a perfect God-man, was able to minister to sinful humanity is because he refused to see them as sin. He saw them as people. What all of this comes down to is taking the thing out of our own eye, refusing to walk in self-righteousness, and humble ourselves to realize that, my God, but for the grace of God go I. And to see people and to love them enough to care, to reach down, and to help. Amen? Amen. Do you see people clearly? And you don't see them clearly until you refuse to walk in self-righteousness, until you humble yourself and invite other people in and say, I'm unwilling to be at, at plank's length with you. I invite you into my life so that I can appropriately come alongside somebody in their place of need to bring freedom in their life. What Jesus communicates in these five verses is the gospel, folks. Need I remind you that God could have and probably should have sized us up and written us off. He could have, he could have judged us and sent us to hell, and we would have deserved it. But what does he do? John three sixteen. let me read it for you. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. It was God's love for us that wouldn't allow him to just mind his own business. It's what Jesus says in, in, in verse 5. It's like to judge others the way that God judges you to love one another enough to see them clearly, to walk alongside them, to take out our self-righteousness. In fact, don't forget this. It was God's judgment over you that caused him to make a way for you. It was God's judgment over you that brought him to action. It was God's judgment over you that he was unwilling to just sit back at arm's length and not deal with you. He actually came down, sent his one and only son to come near to you so that he could help you, so that he could walk in action towards you. Amen? There's this thing that we say, I don't know, in Christianity. Um, it's been said for a long time. We say, hate the sin, love the sinner. Like that's kind of you know, the, the tagline for how we deal with like loving people but, but not condoning sin. Hate the sin, love the sinner. I always thought that it sounded good but incredibly impractical because I'm like, how do, you how do you remove two things that are like inexorably tied together? You've got like this, the person and their behavior. How do you, how do you separate those two things? Until I realized that I was doing it really, really well with one person. Myself. I have no problem hating my sin and loving myself. I really don't. 
I have, I, it's, not a, it's not a problem for me. In fact, it's part of the reason why I hate sin so much because not only does it dishonor God, but it's like it, it destroys and affects me personally and I hate seeing that done to a good guy like me. But honestly, so the question that I want to leave you guys with is this, like, what would it look like if we tried to judge people like God judges us? Ooh, yikes. Like, what would it look like if, for me to, like, all right, I deal with my own beeswax first, I, 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 you know, I take the plank out of my own eye, but then I use it so that I can leverage what God is doing in me to benefit them. What would it look like if my judgment was not judgmental, but rather caused me to, to love and to care and to act and to go out of my way to help make a way for others? Why don't you stand with me? Today is the, the last week of um, Life Group kickoff. We got like all those tables out there and you have an opportunity to sign up or sign up online. Um, and you may be like, yeah, I already did that. You know, I'm all good. Tried that 15 years ago, it didn't work out. It's abysmal, right? Like, I get it. Um, here's what I wanna just push on a little bit for you. What if it wasn't about you? What if, what if you being free wasn't the end goal? What if, um, what if God needs you to leverage what he's done in you so that you can come alongside someone else to bring hope and freedom in their life? I think this message kind of hits three different audiences today. The first one is those who size people up and write them off. Um, this is the self-righteousness that is so, um, plagues so many people. It's, it's the stuff that, that, that Joe drove Jesus crazy. He, he, couldn't, he couldn't stand how people would minimize the, the holiness of God and then jack up their view of themselves and their own, their own holiness. If your initial reaction to people is judgment, then it may be because you've never allowed your heart to be broken over your own sin. Because if, if the sins of others doesn't break your heart, then you, you, maybe you have never allowed your heart to be broken by that. So what do you need to do? Repent. Repent of the sin of self-righteousness. Maybe today is a day for you to just be like, you know what? That's it. Like I'm, I find that I, I size people up and then I write them off and, and I judge them. Sometimes it's because they sin differently than me. Sometimes it's just because it's too difficult for me to look at myself and so I look at others. The second group of people are people that um, size people up and then walk away. Like you, you judge people, but you don't write them off. You just walk away and refuse to help. This is like you have a friend and you're like, it's none of my beeswax. None of, it's who am I to judge? Judge not lest ye be judged. And so I'm just going to keep it shallow and you keep the relationship at like this level because it's, you don't want to have to go any deeper than that because if you do, then it could get awkward. And so in order to maybe like save this friendship, we're just going to, and you pray for them, but maybe 
if you're honest, you've been using prayer as a replacement for a conversation. So what do you need to do? Well, maybe you need to have a conversation in love. Maybe love doesn't size people up and walk away. And sometimes love demands us to have a conversation. The third group of people is this, those who have been sized up but refuse to listen. Man, this one's a tough one. Maybe someone came to you and, um, and they brought something to you like a blind spot and they, 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 they went out on a limb and it was really rough and it was awkward, but they came to you and you immediately jumped on the whole like judge not lest ye be judged train. But in your heart, you know. In your heart, you know they, got, they were onto something. Like, like, you don't want to admit that, but like in your heart, you know that they were actually warning you about a crash up ahead. And here's the deal. They didn't do it perfectly. Because nobody does. And it was awkward. It was messy. It was weird. Kind of ended with a little bit of a... But do you really think that they had nothing better to do with their weekend than to have a really awkward conversation with you? Here's what I'll say. Don't allow the imperfect way that somebody went about that as an excuse for you not to look at that blind spot. So what do you need to do? Consider, listen, stop fighting those who love you. As we sing this last song, I just want to encourage you Whatever that is for you, like if you're, just ask the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, like what, what is it that you're speaking to me about? Is it, is it that I'm, I, I'm judgmental, that I, that I size people up and then I write them off and I need to just repent today of that? I need to be free from that. Is it that I size people up and I walk away and because of some sort of like fear of losing a relationship, I, I'm unwilling to have that conversation that I know you've called me to do because you've got freedom in my life in this area and I'm so afraid to, to help other people or to say anything? Or is it that you've been sized up and you just refuse to listen? Lord, I pray that you would reveal those blind spots in our, in our life, that we would see them and not just see them, but walk in freedom. Lord, the messiness of this scripture, the messiness. Lord, I, I thank you that we don't have Nehemiah ripping out our beards today. I thank you that we have brothers and sisters in Christ that we can trust and love and a family, a family of God that that does this messy, but loves, loves each other enough to be able to just truly love one another. So Lord, have your way in us. If you just feel like you, know, you, wanna, you wanna come up here to the front, you wanna just sit down in your seat, whatever that is, I would just, I just ask you to just choose to respond. Whatever the Holy Spirit is just releasing over you today, just say, you know what, I receive it, I repent, I'm willing to walk this out. Lord, I pray that just reveal it to me, that I will listen to you. Have your way in us, in Jesus' name. Let's worship.